This week on a lively experiment, the governor tells dozens of homeless people camped out in front of the state house, time to go. And three former Providence mayors recently offered some advice to the incoming mayor about the city school system. We have one of them with us this week. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, former state representative Doreen Costa, Ken Block, founder of Watchdog RI, and former Providence mayor Angel Tavares. Hello and welcome to this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It has been a small group with a loud voice. Homeless people camped out in front of the state house, literally trying to draw attention to the state's lack of shelters and affordable housing. On Wednesday, Governor McKee ordered everyone out with the promise of bed and services. I should note before we begin, we're starting on Friday morning. There is going to be some court action. They've uh, Some people who don't want this to happen have gone in for a temporary restraining order. The larger issue, Ken, is we've, we've been down this path before. I just don't know why it's snowballed so much this year. Yeah, I think the advocates have done a good job of raising awareness and, and putting the issue on the front burner. Uh, the real challenge is, is that Rhode Island's struggle with homelessness and what to do about it is uh, being experienced by pretty much literally just about every other state and most large uh, and small cities across the country. It is a problem that doesn't have a good solution. Uh, it needs one, but I don't think anyone's put their finger on exactly what that should be at this point. So I think for all of the uh, focus that's been put on it, I'm not sure that anybody has a good answer for what to do about it yet. Well, it, this is never going to go away. I mean, you have everybody that's running for office. Oh, we're going to help the homeless. We're going to help the homeless. And the homeless are never helped. Um, it's my understanding that RIDE, Rhode Island Department of Education, as of October 1st, had to give the governor a list of all the vacant schools in the state. So hopefully we can revitalize some of them. But the problem is, is everybody wants to help the homeless, but nobody wants them in their backyard. Oh, they're too close to the school. Like, take Nilo, for instance. The Cranston residents were up in arms. because A they, year ago. A yeah. year ago. Um, so everybody wants to help. We also have Sock and Asset, where all we had 800 beds for the COVID when COVID was in Rhode Island, and the building's empty. There's 800 beds there. There's heat, there's showers. But again, if we suggest that the people in the neighborhood or of Chapel Hill in the condos there, they probably will be really upset with us. But we have to wait and see what happens with the schools, the vacancies. We got $610 million as a surplus. There is no reason why anybody in this state should be on the street right now. Mayor? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a challenging situation because it's not just about housing. Um, a lot of the folks have issues beyond um, economic issues, so you have to deal with those issues as well, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, mental health issues, uh, substance uh, abuse issues, whatever it might be, you need to deal with it. So it's not just one thing. It's not just providing housing. Um, I agree with Ken, and that is that, you know, I think that the activists have done a very good job of bringing this issue to the forefront and, uh, and camping out in front of the state house as part of that. Um, I know that today we're going to court, and um, I hope that the uh, court can be helpful. They certainly were to us with the Occupy Providence and uh, Burnside Park. Um, yeah, talk about that. I had forgotten I you, forgot were, you were there and that went on a long time. What were the legal issues? How did you frame it? Well, it, it wasn't so much legal issues in terms, uh, uh, it was more how do we resolve this issue without um, the use of force? One thing Commissioner Perry told me 
Um, the use of force is never pretty. You never and want that, to be you, dragging you people you out. Don't right? to, you don't want to see that. And then part of the reason why a lot of people forgot about it is because we didn't use force because we were fortunate. The presiding justice, uh, Gibney, at the time put us in a mediation. We got a mediated settlement. Bishop Tobin stepped in to help us and the diocese. I'm grateful for that. And, and that working together, we were able to do it peacefully and without force. And so the fact that they are in court, I hope that they will use that process because it will legitimize uh, the process even more. Um, it will give people a lot of notice in terms of what's going on. They'll have an opportunity to be heard. And, um, you know, ultimately, they are going to be leaving. If the question is how and when, but hopefully it can be done in a peaceful way uh, where force doesn't have to be used. Yeah, I just wanted to, to emphasize what, what Angel had talked about in terms of the additional challenges. It's not just economic, right? So, yeah. uh, the solution can't just be putting a roof over people's heads because you need to provide the services, you need to do, in a lot of cases, uh, drug treatments, you need to uh, bring a lot of personnel in. If you're going to put uh, a population of people under one roof who have a whole bunch of diverse needs, you also need to make sure you have sufficient security and all manner of things. It, it is a very complicated issue to address and to keep everybody safe and to make sure that what you do is effective and that you're not just spending money that won't achieve your result. Yeah, my first inclination, Doreen, is, and you, you were up there for a lot of years of, of no money or big deficits. We got an extra 600 million sloshing around. Mm -hmm. Why can't we do this? But money alone doesn't solve the problem because we've seen, even with the Cranston Street Armory, mm -hmm. they were saying, well, we can't really provide those services that Ken talked about. So, you know, money doesn't always solve the problem. Well, money can give them a warm bed and a shower at least for a couple of nights and then we have to decide you know who needs who needs um, drug counseling who just needs their first and last month's rent because they got evicted because of the COVID so there there's so many different issues like the mayor said that it's just not putting a roof over their head but for now if it's 33 degrees I'd rather have a roof over their head I don't know what we're going to do. The governor has $610 million surplus. I don't think Rhode Island has ever seen a surplus like this. And when he was campaigning, he talked so much about the homeless. He was going to help them and get them the help they needed. And um, now's the time. I mean, we're, well, and the billion dollars of ARPA funds, which they've right. given 253, yeah. 400 million to that. Just from a, before we move on, legally, if you're on the governor's side, and I know you have to argue both sides mm -hmm. in law school. If you're the governor's lawyer, what are you arguing? And if you're the advocates for the homeless, what are you arguing to keep them to stay? Sure. I mean, I haven't researched it all, but generally, I would say on the governor's side is that um, they are essentially trespassing, and that we you can't have that there. Um, there are safety issues as well well in terms of public health pub absolutely um, and that that presents a, uh, an issue not only for them but for other people who are using the state house as well um, if you are on the uh, other side you're arguing um, that they are protesting and that this is a constitutional right that they have to protest um, and they should be able to exercise their rights um, and that they'll be irreparably harmed um, if they are in fact removed as the uh, governor and I think the notice said anyway as of today so I think they're arguing different sides there um, but um, I think ultimately I hope that they're able to come together and find a solution that does not involve a forcible removal. How long yeah. did the Occupy Providence go on? That was a long time. Wasn't it was, it? It's it played was, out over months. It was months and one of the things that was on our side quite honestly was we knew the weather was on our <laughs> side right because time that would uh, do that but I'll tell you something one of the things we had to do at one point 
um, was go and make sure there were a couple of really, really cold nights. We were worried someone was going to die. And, mm. and so we actually, um, our public safety department uh, went by with like thermal imaging. And I'm sure that there are, you know, civil rights issues with that. But, you know, it was trying to make sure that, that people were okay. And actually, we found that I think most of the tents were, most if not all the tents were empty at that particular night anyway. We uh, talked a lot about it last spring, and now the uh, the effects of legislation. Uh, one of the pieces on gun control is coming due uh, sometime this month or, or next month. Doreen, I know you've been following this. It's the execution of the um, ten round or more round magazine that will be illegal even for those to to um, who've had it for years. Right. Now Massachusetts did this a little differently. They grandfathered in those mm-hmm. who had it. I wonder as we look at this. You know, you've got. Uh, Attorney General Nerono says he's going to enforce. How the enforcement's going to work? It's not. How is it going to work? I can't imagine the North Kingstown Police Chief Flanagan knocking on my door. Hey, Doreen, you know you got to give up your your ten round magazines. Can you hand them over? I can't imagine any police chief or any police department that's going to go do this. And number one, if they want to take it, it's called confiscation without compensation. There are so many of us that have spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on our firearms. With, with our ammo, with our clips, the magazines, whatever you want to call them. And another thing I'd like to just say, it's, it's, this is jeopardizing our legal firearm owners right now. We're the ones that are not the issue. Most of the shootings that you see are stolen firearms, the serial number is erased, and they're coming to get us. I, I just, I don't understand how. And the representative, and I have to say her name, Representative Justine Caldwell, specifically said, in a forum in East Greenwich that her next thing was coming for our ARs. You know how much they are? You're not coming, you're not going to take mine. I haven't done anything wrong. Well, how did you feel about raising the age from 18 to 20? I don't have a problem with that. I I have no problem with that. The problem is taking my possessions away from legal gun owners. How is that constitutional? It's just not. And she didn't follow Massachusetts where they would have grandfathered that if we had the magazines, the 10 capacity magazines, then we would be okay. That's not grandfathered in. And there's a lawsuit now that we don't know how that's going to play. And again, I know this is not your suit, but you wonder how that's going to play out in terms of the execution. Well, I I think that's right. Um, Look, um, a 10-round, more than 10-round magazine, and I'm not even talking about an AR, I'm talking just about a a handgun, Um, those are extremely common. Um, I have to turn in one now, right? Because, I, and I'm glad we came to the show because I didn't realize um, that that's the case. So, so, so it's 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 extremely common. I wish it would have been grandfathered in because um, that's not really what we're, I think, aiming to get. I think what we really do want to get are assault weapons like the AR-15. I'm sorry, Doreen, um, but those types of weapons that have been used continuously um, and many times even purchased legally, right? Right, Uh, They they actually purchased legally but used continuously in these crimes and really have no place, in my opinion, uh, on our streets. Um, That's what I think we should have been targeting. Um, I don't have a problem with uh, wait periods or uh, age, any of those things. In fact, I actually don't want someone who wants a weapon uh, to to be able to get it right away um, and they can't wait six or seven days. You kind of wonder, why can't you wait six or seven days? You write that email, wait overnight until you send it. Right, right, right. You know, I went to a uh, bar mitzvah in New York City this past weekend, and I walked through a metal detector to walk in. There were multiple armed New York City policemen outside the door. There were armed private security members inside the synagogue. They had specialized metal curtains that came down over the windows if they needed them. It was walking into a fortress. My wife teaches sixth grade. 
they go through a quarterly drill where she specially locks the doors, the kids are taught where to go in case there is a, uh, an intruder who is looking to do them harm. This is not a free society. We are living under siege. And I think most people would agree that this is, uh, we have a problem, right? The United States is immersed in violence and in people being killed uh, in great numbers. So it's a very difficult problem to address, but the status quo isn't working. So I think we need everybody to come together and come to some agreement about common sense things that we can do to make life better but with the thing that we shouldn't have to contend with is that what I just described to you is something that you would expect to see in a society that isn't America that would be some other place. So I, I think we're moving in the wrong direction, generally speaking, when it comes to guns and gun violence. And we need to do something different, for sure. This, go ahead. Can I just say something? Um, there's never a compromise. With the, with the Moms Demand. There is never a compromise. There are representatives that went to Moms Demand, that went to Representative Caldwell, that asked them to grandfather them in. It's all or nothing with them. There is no compromise. But I, let, me just, let me just push back on that, too, because mm -hmm. with the Second Amendment group, there, mm -hmm. that's, I think that's the problem. There's been very little right. compromise on each side because right. I think the feeling is it's a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Once you start changing age requirement or whatever, all of a sudden the, the government's going to come in and take all of my firearms. Mm -hmm. I think that's the mentality kind of on both sides. Well, they're going to come in and confiscate our magazines for 10 rounds. So if the ARs are next, are they going to come and take our so ARs? The ARs so, but so what Congress do you do? Had, But the Senate had done that all those years ago. You remember for 10 mm -hmm. years that happened. And I don't know how you felt when that mm -hmm. happened, but that was federal law, it sunsetted out, mm -hmm. and they did. So that was a workable thing that happened. And I think that the, the, the course has really gotten out of the barn since then. Right, but Jim, what, my, my thing is, coming for the magazines, you're going to come for the AIR, you're going to come for the Smith & Wesson, you're going to come for a Glock. What is next? Where does it end? Because it's never enough. It's never enough. Well, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not looking for the Glock or the SIG or anything <laughs> like that, but I think the AR-15 is different. And I, and, I think, and I think the Jim pointed out something, and I, there's data in terms of what type of shootings we had in, during that time period where we had a ban and what's happened since. So I do think that there's a difference between uh, a SIG handgun or a Glock and an AR-15, which is an assault weapon, in my view. Now, you know, there's, there's a lot of definitions of what is an assault weapon. Um, I also think that the Second Amendment groups need to read um, the full Second Amendment. A well-regulated militia, right, the rights of the people are being necessary, or the rights of people should not be infringed. Um, and I may have missed a word, but I know it says a well-regulated militia at the very beginning. And so we have well-regulated militias. Uh, they're called the U.S. Army, the U.S. Navy, the U.S. Marines, the, um, the Air Force, uh, the Coast Guard. And so um, I think that that's something else that I'm, I'm always amazed that we have these folks who are originalists, right? A lot of uh, judges in the Supreme Court are originalists, and they want to know what it meant, um, but they ignore words that are in the Constitution. So I think we have to do better. We've seen what can happen. Ken pointed out something. Um, you know, we are one of the only countries on earth that have these types of shootings continuously. Don't tell me that we can't do something to solve it. Well, quite, well I think a lot of is, is people with a mental illness, number one, and also I think we need better security in all the schools, period. I mean, we had a Providence teacher that was stabbed last week. Thank God he's going to be okay. But there's no, there's no security. And then when you want to put the security in the schools, the kids don't want it because they said they feel uncomfortable. So how do we fix this situation? Final thought on that? 
Yeah, I mean, look, you can you can go to many other countries where you don't need the security in the schools. So, you know, is the United States truly free and are we really moving in the right direction when we have to essentially live uh, in a siege, right? I, I, my wife's sense as a, as a school teacher is that they're in a siege environment. They're ready for a catastrophic disaster. There's a way to ready Where to school always used to be the safe haven. Right, right. We so, to... you know, so I don't think we want to make our schools armed camps. I think that we have to ask ourselves, why are we in this situation? And can we do something reasonable to get ourselves out of this situation? Well, I, one more thing on that, Ken. If you go to, if you look to, when you're a legislator, what you do is you look to other states, you look to other countries to see what works. If you, if you look in Israel, okay, for instance, you never hear of anything, a school shooting in Israel because there's metal detectors. There's one way in in the morning and there's one way out in the afternoon. The kids don't seem to mind. They put their book, book bag down. They walk through the medical t metal detector. They take their book bag. They go to school. Yeah. Uh, you can't always you can't always blame the gun owners. Well, I for think this. some there's would a lot of argue is that the society on. you want to live in. But well, we could we could we, go on for this all day. But we could. Yeah. Um, we have Angel, who with uh, two of your fellow uh, former mayors uh, had a little meeting with Mr. Smiley. Um, you didn't have to drag him in kicking and screaming. I think that was good. Um, Providence schools, we could, again, do a whole nother show on that. But since we have you on, let's talk about the, you know, the union pushback on some of what you said or maybe all of what you said. But why did you guys, you and Mayor Lorza and um, uh, Mayor Paolino met with uh, Smi uh, incoming Mayor Smiley? What was the genesis of this and why did you do it? Sure. Um, Mayor um, Lorza um, asked me and I think asked Mayor Paolino um, to join him in making some recommendations to Mayor-elect Smiley. Um, before we did that, we wanted, we confirmed that Mayor-elect Smiley wanted to hear the recommendations <laughs> because I thought that that was important. And, um, and that's, what we, that's what we did. And for me, um, if I have one regret uh, in terms of uh, my time as mayor is that I couldn't do more in terms of education. Um, even having said that, I'm proud of the work that we did do, particularly starting uh, Achievement First, which has a longer school day, a longer school year, has principal autonomy, and we've seen the results since then. And I hope that that would be an example for the rest of the district to realize we have to change the things that we're doing. We can't expect different results. And You're recommending significant change. Well, we absolutely. I mean, uh, without without a doubt, we're rec recommending significant change because kids can't wait any longer. The kids who were in first grade when I took office, if they made it through the system, are graduating now. And I think about that all the time. And um, did we have we prepared them for the future? We know at CCRI, so many kids are doing remedial work. They're, uh, thankfully, they, most of them now are not paying it's because the of the promise of high school, but basically. Exactly, but they're doing remedial work because they weren't prepared. So um, for me, I think we have to do more. And the one thing that you won't hear um, the teachers union talk about is that longer school day or the longer school year um, or the principal having the autonomy. What you will hear, though, and I remember it's been blazed in my mind, is that the out-of-school factor most closely correlated to the success of the student is the socioeconomic status of the mother. And that, to me, is a way to say the issue really is the child. The issue is where we come from. So that tells me, and I take it personally, because that tells me because my mom worked in factories, didn't do, you know, uh, had a low socioeconomic status, you know, I should settle for less. I refuse to accept that for myself. I refuse to accept that for our children. I know we can do better, and we've proposed some ideas on how to do better. And I yeah, hope and that the, the mayor the, can do the that. The governor missed the huge, we talked about that transformational contract. That was a missed opportunity. It is outrageous 
that while the state is running the Providence schools and there was a renegotiation of the contract on the table and theoretically the legal framework to explode the existing contract and to bring a new contract in and force it on everybody, that was the time to make transformational change in Providence. We failed to do it. I, I absolutely fail and fault uh, Governor McKee for not taking advantage of this. And, and really, Providence school kids continue to suffer because our politicians didn't have the political courage necessary to do what was right by them. It's really bad. Um, I think it's the, the Providence school system is still under state, correct? It's still run by the state. Yeah. It needs to get, it needs to be, go back to Providence because what the state is trying to do is not working. Nothing is working. I, the, the, the test scores are extremely low, and you can blame COVID for Look that. Look at the pandemic mulligan right, for the, a year. Right, but you I know what? That. They were low before the pandemic, mm -hmm. so they can't use that. And you, you just agree with me, Ken. Um, you can't use that as an excuse anymore. So give it back to, this, <laughs> give it back to Providence. Let's, I mean, um, Mayor Lex Smiley and I, we have absolutely nothing in common as far as politically goes. But I honestly wish him the best. Please fix the Providence school system. Bring it back to Providence. Let the mayor have, let him have the concept, what he can do, what he can try to do to work, to make it work. And if, they, if the scores don't get better, then we have a problem. The state's not helping and the mayor's not helping. So let's hope, let's hope Mayor-elect Smiley can do something We like haven't that. talked about this. What are your thoughts about, should the state continue? Do you think it needs to go back to Providence? Do we need to give them a little more time? What are your thoughts on the state takeover? You know, let, let, let's just... Uh, That's a tough question. You know, it is, no, it is a tough question, particularly because Providence passed an elected school board for, um, I think, four or five members. They want to draw now new districts mm -hmm. um, in the city um, and have elected school boards as if the um, unions don't have enough influence um, we're going to now have um, these elections that are typically um, low turnout elections um, where folks aren't um, as focused on them. With new districts, it's not even going to be by ward, it's going to be new districts. So now you're going to have four or five uh, folks who are elected. Um, and that was something I was against as well. Um, I think, you, you know, it. You have to make tough choices. Um, when we started Achievement First, we did it on a five to four vote. We got a five to four vote. George Carulla was the deciding vote on, at the state board to allow us to start the school. Think about that for a second. Mm. Five to four. One vote. Um, and we worked really hard to do that. And I remember people told me, my, my advisor said to me um, that I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it. It wasn't good politically. And I'm like, how can, I, how can helping kids not be good politically? Yeah. Um, now, I am sitting here as a former mayor, so I guess maybe they were right, right? <laughs> but it, but it, doesn't not, it doesn't matter to me because I know this much. I know that the kids who have gone to that school um, have done very well and have a future. I also think that we have an example of what works. And sooner or later, I think we're going to have to focus on that. And I want to say one thing about Governor McKee um, to defend him on this, and that is he started the mayoral academies, right? He was very, very uh, big proponent of it. And that's what Achievement First is. That's what Blackstone Valley Prep is. And so um, I know, um, I believe I know where his heart is based on his actions in the past. Um, I do think that the contract was a missed opportunity. I, w I will say that. Um, but but I also know what he's done uh, overall. I know that he cares about education, and um, I look forward to seeing uh, what they do. And whatever I can do to be helpful, I want to do. But I know we can do better. All right, let's go to uh, outrageous and or kudos. Ms. Costa, let's begin with you this week. Uh, thanks, Jim. Um, kudos to Elon Musk for bringing Twitter back the way it was supposed to be. And kudos to Mr. Musk for breaking, not breaking, or the Hunter Biden story that should have been out many, many years ago because people knew it, but Twitter hit it. Um, so we thank him for that, and let's see where it goes. 
Yeah. Well, it's it's it is going to be interesting to see because then there's an economic factor right. about mm -hmm. are the advertisers going to come because he's got to make it work financially. Right. So I'm sure he'll. Um, he's a smart man. I think it's going to work. Interesting. Yeah. Ken, Ken, what do you have? I have a kudo. Um, I have a kudo to every person in the last election who ran for office. Uh, as I know, everyone sitting here with me knows, it is incredibly difficult. Uh, to run for office. You have to put yourself out there. You have to deal with all manner of ridiculousness. Uh, and all three of you know that, right? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? It's, it is really hard, and we're really fortunate that uh, people run. More people should run. Good people should run. And uh, for those who've lost, and I think we've all tasted the bitterness of, of having lost as well, um, it's okay, and come back, right? So I, I, it's, it's important to our democracy. It's important to how government works and even doesn't work, and uh, I really appreciate the efforts that everyone put in. And from a very selfish standpoint, Doreen, I know you lost your race, but that means you get to come back and join us on See that? Library. That's I all to, I, I care I, about. I get to come back with you, Hummel. Angel, what do you have? Well, my kudos is actually a bipartisan kudos to Mitt Romney. Um, Mitt Romney uh, this week has said several things. One, um, uh, one in Republicans that they're focused on Hunter Biden instead of focusing on, on inflation, on energy costs, on other things is a, is a big mistake. The other thing he said was that well, he was asked whether he would uh, support uh, former President Trump if he ran for president again. He said absolutely not. That this is not someone who um, should have um, the presidency, should have the power of the presidency. And I kudos to Mr. Romney because um, it's not an easy thing to do, as we've seen, because very mm -hmm. few Republicans will uh, speak the truth. But um, we should be able to, um, uh, particularly with, when it comes to the former president, realize this is not someone who should be president of the United States. And I'm not talking about necessarily being a conservative or anything else. I'm saying uh, he has shown it over and over. Um, heck, I think he's made history by suggesting the suspension of the Constitution. Yeah, we'll, um, see, we'll see how far that so, gets. We have a couple minutes left. Let's talk about where uh, where Congress is going to go now. Narrow margin in the House, the Senate. Um, although it's, I heard this morning that Kirsten Sinema is now going to be an independent caucus. I heard that. With the, and Manchin is going to be the, who knows? You don't know what's going on uh, up there. You but what, no a, what about, you know, the House... The House has a chance to do something now, but I hear a lot of let's investigate this, let's investigate that. Mm -hmm. What about what Angel said about maybe being able? I mean, is it gonna is it gonna put us farther apart, or are people gonna have to sit down at the table? Well, now? first things first, we need somebody to run for president that's gonna unify us. Okay, I I pretty much agree. I'm, my Trump friends are probably gonna hate me for this, but I will support the Republican nominee, whoever it would be. I have two other people in mind that I would love to see put their name in. So one would be Nikki Haley. Love her. Another one would be Ron DeSantis. I know a lot of Democrats think he's, they don't like him, but they're not going to like anybody. Um, the Democratic Party will always support the person that is the nominee, and I will do the same exact thing. What about government? How do you, how do you think it looks the next two years? It's going to be divided. It will be, uh, it, I think there'll be retribution in the House, for sure. Um, and... I think we all suffer for it, ultimately. I, I, I would love to see, of course, you can see people talking about this going back decades, right? I mean, we want to see 
cooperative government. We want to see compromise, generally speaking. We want to see a difference made. But instead, there's gridlock, and we don't see effective government. So. You get the last 30 seconds, Mayor. Well, look, I think that we've seen a bipartisan bill um, in terms of infrastructure. We've seen the Inflation Reduction Act. We've seen uh, progress being made over the last several years. The first thing that the Republicans in the House did was have a press conference about Hunter Biden, not about lowering inflation, not about uh, fighting energy uh, costs, not about uh, helping with health care, about Hunter Biden. And I want to point out something. Hunter Biden has not served in the administration of President Biden. Hunter Biden didn't get $2 billion from uh, Saudi Arabia. And those things are actually would be worth investigating. Hunter Biden is a private citizen who has had uh, substance abuse issues that he's documented. And uh, what they want to do is try to embarrass him. And that's a mistake. No. All right. You're going to continue after the show. <laughs> I can see Doreen okay. and Angel. And we'll tell you next week whether they came to blows. Folks, that is all the time we have. Angel and Doreen and Ken, good to see you guys again. Thank you for coming back here. We appreciate your loyalty to the show. And we'll be back here with everything that's happened over the next week as a lively experiment continues. experiment is generously underwritten by hi I'm John Hazen White jr. for over 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS <laughs>